This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my webpage at dr-history.com for over 440 true stories of the Old West. Also, now available on Amazon, my first book, a historical fiction based on true events, entitled Coal Miner to Cowboy. The story of a young man born in England in 1850. He wants to be a cowboy and makes his way to America, travels from New Orleans to Independence on a steamboat, hires on as a teamster to Santa Fe, then on a cattle drive to Bozeman, Montana. He also rides shotgun on a stagecoach. He travels with a wagon train, and on his two-year journey, he meets some famous people and keeps a journal of his adventures. The book contains a lot of the true stories from my podcast and is now available on Amazon. Visit my webpage for a link to Amazon for the book, Coal Miner to Cowboy. Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm good. Just, uh, like you said, a little cloudy out there today, and we keep getting these daily rainstorms, which I feel bad for the farmers that have the hay down. You know, it's going to get a little tough. Yeah. I mean, that hay, I don't know if it's going to dry out. And you notice my tarp is off my hay? Well, of course. Yeah, real quick. I took it off so I could start moving it. Yeah. And I thought, well, the rain's over. And that it, night, Sunday night, yeah. we got oh, a deluge. We got dumped on. Yeah. <laughs> what, are we going to talk about Lewis and Clark We are. Again? We're going to continue this saga a little bit more. So, you know, we've come across, we've come down the Columbia, uh, out of the Rocky Mountains, out of Idaho, out of the Snake, and now we're down at the Pacific Coast. Wow. So it's... Now, we're in the fall. It's November 25th. So it's cold. It's going to be cold. So the Corps of Discovery set out from what they call Station Camp on the Washington side of the Columbia. That's where they were camped for a little while. Whereabouts exactly were they? Just on the, on the you said on the north side of the Columbia, right? Yes, in, in what is now Washington State. Okay, so I'm right. that would be basically almost by where that bridge uh, connects. Yes. Okay, right yeah, there. Yeah. Okay, yep. all right. All so right. Uh, anyway. They were still fighting these big, huge tide waters that would come in, and they were still using these big, heavy dugout canoes. And, uh, you know, I can't imagine fighting those big waves and the w- winds and everything in those big old heavy dugout canoes. But after struggling along the shore, they camped for the night. They were hungry. And here's what Clark said. He said, oh, how disagreeable is our situation. Uh-huh. <laughs> so they were bad. Their you spirit- know, the language back then was phenomenal. It, I love it. Don't you? Yeah. 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 So he wrote, you know, that it was kind of bad. But so their spirits were low. They were hungry. Uh, Sacagawea produced a piece of stale bread from her furs that she'd been saving for her baby, and she gave it to Clark. No kidding. Yeah. Well, he accepted it gratefully and ate. 
the bread. Really? Okay. I'll bet it was <clears throat> delicious. I'll bet it was. Yeah, had it in her pocket. Yes. For uh, 900 miles. But but think about this, Ed. Moments like that must have kind of defined the camaraderie or the sense of community shared by the members. You know, and you brought something up right there that I was going to ask you about last week. I mean, how did they manage to get along in the close confines of traveling all those miles with, what would you say, 39 members of their... Yeah, 33, I believe. Yeah. yeah. And I can only say they must have had some pretty good patience because that wow. would have been tough. You but and I can't even get along here in the I studio. I know. We only meet once a week. <laughs> But so, you know, they traveled halfway across North America. They crossed the and recrossed the continental divide. They survived hardship after hardship. And the only thing I can think of is, you know, is that when you go through difficult times together, sometimes I think it brings you closer. Brings you stronger. Yeah. Makes you stronger. But uh, there had to be differences of opinion. Well, yeah. And so, luckily, there were the leaders, you know, Lewis and Clark. They were they were the leaders and they kept the men under control, so to speak, I guess. But uh, anyway, Lewis managed to get a small canoe across the south shore in what they call the Tongue Point area, which is on the Oregon side. Yep. He then explored further west and found a, a pretty good campsite uh, within... They could hear the breakers from the Pacific, so it was pretty close to the ocean. So the site was five miles south of present-day Astoria, Oregon, Mm -hmm. and it's protected kind of from the winter storms. So when the rest of the party eventually arrived, they must have... They must have had a great sense of relief. I mean, here they were thinking, okay, this is where we're going to stay. Yeah. So a small river was nearby, and it provided fresh water. And the Clatsops, the Indian tribe, the Clatsops, had promised that there would be plenty of elk to hunt. And here, near what is called Young's Bay, they set about building their log st- uh, stockade, and they called it Fort Clatsop after the Indians that were living right there nearby. Really? So, uh, uh, yeah, so the Clatsop Indians. So here they were. They hoped to find a trading ship at the mouth of the Columbia that would allow them to replenish their goods, their food, their clothes. Now, why would trading ships be going into and trying to trade in such a desolate area? Well, it wasn't. Well, they knew that uh, there were furs there. So John Jacob Astor, he uh, was trying to set up a uh, a worldwide fur trade. And so there were ships that would come in and out of there. And as, uh, a week or so ago, I mentioned that some of the uh, uh, Native Americans were wearing uh, even clothes uh, from Europe. Yeah. And they had uh, iron pots and things that they traded from the, from the Way ships. Way back in the early 1800s. Yeah. Clear back in 1805. But there had been fur trappers before that, before yeah. Lewis and Clark got there. But, you know, by now it's November, getting wintertime, so uh, there weren't any ships coming in and out at this point. But um, Clark and Lewis, they wanted to send specimens back and maybe even get a ride on, on passage for themselves back to the East Coast. But in kind of a twist of fate, however, they somehow missed the trading ships that were in the area just when the explorers arrived at Fort Clatsop. So they just just kind of barely missed them. So they were left to resupply on their own, and that meant a lot of trading with the Clatsops. And the Clatsops told Lewis that there was usually not any snow in the area, 
And here's what Clark wrote. He said, if this should be the case, uh, he wrote, always concerned for the welfare of his men. He said, it will most certainly be the best situation for our naked party dressed as they are altogether in leather. Can you imagine being dressed in wet leather with the cold, the wind, the rain? But they said, well, usually we don't get snow. Yeah. (laughs) That's reassuring. The toughness of uh, human beings in those environmental conditions and what they were wearing. uh, I've always been amazed that they didn't freeze their feet right off. Yeah. Uh, and the, just the dampness, you know, oh, the constant, constant dampness, the, cl- the clouds yeah. and everything. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So here they are. They found the place they're going to camp. And like I say, it's just south of Astoria, Oregon at this point. So they built a 50-foot square stockade. Oh, my. Now, now that's not very big. No. 50 feet. Okay. Square? Yeah, 50-foot square, and it consisted of a row of three cabins facing another row of four. So they had seven cabins. A, a parade ground 20 feet wide separated. So here you have a 50 by 50 square. You got three cabins on one side, four cabins on the other side, and 20 feet in between the cabins. Not very much room. Boy, uh, you had to get up in the morning and get dressed outside. <laughs> yeah. So at Christmas time, they settled into their fort. So like I say, it's winter, uh, into their quarters. And by candlelight, the captains caught up on their backlog of journaling. And, and you know, he took a lot of notes on the plants and the animals and uh, everything that he saw uh, and, and map making. Yeah, but one thing you're not specific on through this story is uh, all the people, all 33 plus, lived in that little confine? Yes. Yeah. Sacagawea, her baby, you know, Jean Baptiste and her husband, wow. Toussaint. So 33 of them in there. So. But, you know, besides having a winter home sheltered from the elements and plenty of game, they had, you know, elk and deer, uh, the Corps wanted to be able to make salt. Now, that may sound un- a little bit weird, but Clark himself uh, stated he really didn't think they needed salt. But Lewis and the others wanted it to season their diet of elk, deer, and dog meat. So they dog oh meat. yeah they they preferred dog it was uh, it was yeah. good okay uh, here Rover not, not speak not speaking from experience yeah but so Clark set out immediately to find a direct route to the sea coast and on December twenty eighth five men were sent to establish a what they called a salt camp and I, I'm going to try to explain that. 
Five days later, they found a suitable place with seawater that had a high salt content. And there were stones for building a fireplace, wood, game, and fresh water. The site was near some houses uh, uh, near where the Clatsop Indians were camped and where some of the Tillamook Indians were camped and on the beach uh, at present-day Seaside, Oregon. Have you been to Seaside? Yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah. So that's farther south along the coast. Yeah. Well, they started making salt here at the rate of three quarts to a gallon a day for two months. So they just boiled down the water, uh, you know, and then collected the salt. Aren't you amazed like I am as to how smart these people were? Yeah. Uh, I mean... And salt uh, is actually essential for the human body. You need salt. So a little later, January 8th, 1806, Clark looked out on the spectacular coastline from Tillamook Head. So he went quite a way south, and Tillamook is actually south of Portland. Yeah, was he at the dairy? Uh, you know, they have the best ice cream. They do. <laughs> but from Tillamook Head, he, he wrote, quote, From this point I beheld the grandest and most pleasing prospects which my eyes ever surveyed. So he was looking at that beautiful, and you've traveled that. I've traveled oh, yeah, it. I've I mean, the, the view from up on some of those higher passes, oh, yeah. just amazing looking yep. out over the Pacific. Yep. Well, Clark and a party, which included Sacagawea, had gone south from Seaside to find a whale reported to be beached at present-day Cannon Beach, Oregon. And the farther south they reached... Uh, well, actually, uh, maybe they didn't go all the way to the town of Tillamook. Maybe they only went to Cannon Beach. Uh, but there was a place called uh, Tillamook uh, Outlook. Anyway, yeah. so they arrived, and uh, he said, uh, at a beautiful sand shore, but found only the skeleton of this monster on the sand. The nearby Tillamook and Clatsop Indians had found the whale and had already cut it up and most of it and had taken it away. But Clark traded for some meat and some blubber anyway. Now, the Tillamook Indians and what was the other tribe, Clatsop, Uh were they friendly to the Lewis and Clark expedition Mm -hmm. and helped them? Yes. Yep. Yeah, they they had good. They were on good terms. So no, no problems really there. Pretty much. We might talk about that a little bit. So here they are, and you've been over there. You know, this beautiful, lush, old-growth forest, the wetlands, the wildlife. I mean, the Corps rested from their journey and prepared for their trip back home. You know, they they knew they were going to head back. So the 33-member party spent the winter of 1805-1806 learning life ways from the Clatsops. They learned how to make moccasins and buckskin clothing and how to store food. So, like I say, they, they helped out. The, the Tillamook and Clatsops helped them and out. And this was all for the return journey. Yeah, they were getting ready to head back. So they needed clothes, and they needed to figure out how to store food to take with them. So the rest from traveling may have been welcome, but by the time they got ready to leave, they'd been thoroughly bored. Uh, you can imagine. There's just not a lot to do. But yeah, really. uh, relations with the nearby Clatsop and Chinook villagers were kept kind of at arm's length by the captains. Uh, the Corps came with kind of a preconceived idea of the coastal natives as being thieves. Okay. Now, did they just exist on a diet of wild game, or did they go fishing? 
That's a good question. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, they saw all the salmon that the Indians had collected all down the Columbia. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if they, it doesn't say that they actually fished. I see. But I would think they should have. But uh, so anyway, with their experience with the Skilutz Indians on the Columbia, which tended, they tended to sneak into their camp and take things that uh, they thought was just their due. That was part of their culture. Really? So, but Lewis described the Clatsops as quite, and here he he says, great Heiglers, which I think means Haglers. But he he spells it Heiglers in trade. And if they conceive you anxious to purchase, they will be a whole day bargaining for a handful of roots. Really? That's his description. Uh-huh. So from the viewpoint of the Indians, they were simply doing business uh, in the same way they traded with the ships along the coast. Did they do any gardening over there for it, the vegetables they had to have? Yeah, you know, they probably, well, I don't know, because it was wintertime. I don't, uh, I don't know that they could have oh, okay. planted anything that would have grown. Yeah. So anyway, the Indians that came across on the coast uh, didn't fit the Euro-American image. They were shorter in stature, and their facial feature, features were described as low and ill-shaped. Now, the Plains Indians... <laughs> How would a, you like to be low and ill-shaped? <laughs> yeah. Well, I may be described as that. <laughs> but the Plains Indians had appealed much more to the core idea of normal. So... You know, as you, as you meet the different tribes, they're going to be, they've lived in different areas. They're going to look different. Yeah. So compared to, like, say, the Southwest. Well, look at my relation compared to yours. Exactly. <laughs> There's a good example. Yeah. So during preparations for the return home in March is when they were going to head out. The Corps tried to purchase canoes from the Clatsops and found they refused to sell at a price they could afford. Now, unfortunately, the commitment to never steal from the Indians was forgotten for the first time during the expedition. Lewis reported in his journal, quote, We yet want another canoe, and as the Clatsops will not sell us one at a price which we can afford to give, we will take one from them in lieu of the six elk which they stole from us in the winter. Well, he's got that figured out. You're going to steal for for being stolen. So the essential honesty of the expedition, uh, uh, I guess you could say, was a little bit tarnished. But, you know, it's survival. When when they were going to buy a canoe, what are they using as a monetary use? That's a good question. I know, you know, they did have these metals and they had shirts and trinkets and beads. Beads were highly sought after. Really? The different colored beads, yeah. So as eventually in March, as they sat out upriver, they carried with them their journals filled by Lewis with the descriptions, like I said, of the plants, the birds, the mammals, the fish, amphibians. Uh, he recorded what the weather was day by day and all this very detailed information on the different cultures of the different tribes, you know, from the Mandans to the Nez Perce to the Clatsops and all the way down. The I, I don't know how many tribes they eventually wow. ran into, probably... I'm going to say 20 or 30 different tribes. But Clark must have been a pretty good uh, drawing because he had illustrations of a lot of the animals and the plants, and they updated the maps of the journey. And Clark Clark calculated they had traveled 4,132 miles in 554 days from a place called Wood River to the mouth of the Columbia. 
And then, of course, in Mar- March 18, 1806, they began their long journey home. And they went back on the same road, right? They're pretty close. We, we might want to even talk about that one more time. Yeah, I think we should. Yeah. We've only got about a minute left, okay. but, you know, going back, uh, to me, that would be almost harder than going to the West, would it not? Yeah. Um, So let me just quickly end in this. You know, as a parting gift, Lewis gave Fort Clatsop to uh, Chief Cobaway of the Clatsops. Uh, I mean, they didn't have any use for the fort, and they were returning east. So because of the heavy rainfall, the original Fort Clatsop rotted away by the middle of the 19th century. Really? So nothing was left. But the Clatsops actually used the fort as a kind of a base for security and other purposes, and they used some of the wood in it, uh, and they used it f- uh, for some of the fur trade that came out. So there's actually... Uh, a place you can go there now. Do historians know where it was exactly? Yeah. And, and there's you can go there, and they have uh, reproductions. They have actors. Now I've never been there, but uh, I want to go there. It's on my list. But they have actors that will portray the, the, what life was like back oh, then. Really? So I've always wanted to make it back there. Uh, they have a reconstructed fort, and they have an interpretive center. Uh, they have these living history demonstrations. So it looks like an amazing place. Uh, so I, the next time we head to Oregon, I really want to, oh, yeah. to go yeah. there and spend some time. So that, I think we better do another program. I'll do the return. Yeah, I'd uh, like to know. Now, where was their final destination point going back east? I, I'm pretty sure it was Independence. Independence, Missouri? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Now, right. here's a picture of the reconstructed of the original fort. Oh, really? Yeah, that's a picture of the reconstruction. That's uh, a fort? Well, they called it fort. Yeah. But, you know, it was more or less just a place to live. Wow. So there's not a lot there. And f- almost 40 people lived there. 33 people and seven cabins, yeah. Wow. So it's not very big. You can see. Uh, yeah. But really. it sheltered them from the rain, you know. Yeah. So it, they probably thought it was luxurious, really, yeah. <laughs> after what they'd been through. The Ritz. Yeah. Four star. Yeah. <laughs> so it was it was all right. Yeah, I tell you what, you do a great job. Ladies and gentlemen, a nice round of applause for Dr. History.